Fierce Women Writing is a partner of We Need Diverse Books, a nonprofit that advocates for diversity in children's and young adult publishing at every level. They have many programs that support this mission, including grants, mentorships, and retreats for writers, classroom book giveaways, an app for diverse book recommendations, and others. Learn how you can help them put more books featuring diverse characters into the hands of all children at weneeddiversebooks.org. Welcome to Fierce Women Writing, the podcast where female voices are elevated, creativity is ignited, and writers are inspired. I believe that stories can enlighten, heal, and entertain the reader and the writer. First, the writer has to quiet their doubts long enough to get the words on the page. I'm here to help you put your doubts away and focus on your creativity. Every day I talk to writers and would-be writers who aren't writing. They're not writing because they don't think they're good enough, because they've been rejected, don't have time, or don't know where to start. That's why I created this show, so that you can hear from other writers who want to inspire you to share the stories that only you can tell. I'm Sarah Gallagher. Come write with me. Hey there, Fierce Writers. Today's guest is Brittany Morris. Brittany is the author of Slay, a young adult novel that was released in September 2019. She's the founder and former president of the Boston University Creative Writing Club, and she's a four-time NaNoWriMo winner. Welcome to the show, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. Brittany, what are the ideal conditions for you to write? Ooh, good question. Um, I think over the years I've kind of learned how to write in just about any conditions. I think when I was writing Slay, I was under an extremely tight like 12-day deadline. So I kind of got used to writing you know, on the bus, on the company shuttle that I had. Um, I would think about what I was going to write next while I was biking to work. Um, I would curl up on the couch and write late at night. Um, I just kind of wrote wherever I could. But my favorite conditions to write in would probably be early in the morning at a coffee shop where like there's like ample Wi-Fi and the temperature is great and the espresso is delicious. Like that's kind of my favorite situation. (laughs) Can you tell me more about this 12-day deadline? Yeah. So when I sat down to write Slay, I had just seen Black Panther and I was hoping someone would make a Wakanda-inspired video game. And when no one was talking about it, I was like, I have got to write this. I'm physically uncomfortable with a Wakanda video game not existing. So I sat down and I wanted to know when the next Pit Mad was happening, which is a Twitter pitch contest for writers to get their work in front of agents pretty quickly. And the next one was happening in two weeks. And so I knew if I was going to be the first person with a Black Panther comp, for my book, I was going to have to make this one um, because everybody else was going to be having theirs three months later at the next one. And so I knew I had to get this out in less than 14 days. So I sat down, I made a one page outline like I always do. And then I decided to try for a chapter and a half a day, I think, um, and got everything out in 11 days. Um, I will probably never do that again. I came down with the flu on day 12 because I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. It was bad. So don't do what I do. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it worked this time. Why do you write? Um, I write because I have to. I have so many like questions about the world that require 50,000 word answers. (laughs) 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 That's just kind of how I explore. Um, 
and how I like sort out my own thoughts. I'm a pretty anxious person in general. So writing helps me like get all of my thoughts and feelings out of my brain. What are your best writing tips? For people who are hoping to get traditionally published, keep at it. Like, and I know that's become cliche at this point, like everybody says that, but I had been through, I had gotten, I think, 200 rejections from agents before I landed with Carissa, um, who's amazing. And like, you know, I had sent out query letter after query letter and I had one agent before Carissa and I I had to start over and my writing journey has not been linear at all. So if you're passionate about writing and your dream is to get traditionally published, keep at it. Surround yourself with people who are where you want to get to and who have wisdom and who are positive and who will spurn you on to be the best you can be. And also, I would say read a lot, um, which is not something that I actually did. I took a while to fall back into love with reading, but reading it so, so helps you develop your writing. Um, I was trying to write for the longest time what I thought publishing was looking for. And little did I know I was, (laughs) funny story, I was attempting to write a trilogy, dystopian, start a 17 year old going up against a totalitarian government. There was a battle royale element involved. And this was in like 2013. Like that was not the time (laughs) to be writing that. (laughs) So I would say read, 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 and keep at it with the writing. What are your suggestions for someone trying to overcome a block? Oh, good question. Um, So I, what I've started doing is I have so many, like, just, I don't know. I have, like, I usually come up with partial stories, so, like, fragments of things. It usually starts with a what-if question. So for Slay, it was more complete. It was what would happen if there was a Wakanda-style video game, an all-black video game, and then that kind of grew into, well, who would have a problem with an all-black video game existing, and why, and what would the connotations be, so that that kind of developed into a whole book, but when you have a partial idea or a fragment like that, or you see something at, in a different angle for the first time, I would say write it down, give it its own folder in your computer, um, and give it like a brief title, like whatever it is. Uh, just it could be even a bogus title for now, but just give it a name. And then when you are feeling like you don't know what to write, but you want to write, go back and read those titles and the descriptions that you wrote about them. And that usually helps get the creative juices flowing. Another thing that I've done is I can't stand deleting things. So whenever I have to delete like a paragraph or like a whole chapter, I will take it and I'll save it in my junk pile folder. And whenever I'm feeling uninspired or I'm just feeling like I'm kind of writing the same things or my character's voices aren't being very interesting, I'll go back and read the sections that I deleted and go, oh man, I wish I could have included that in whatever, whatever. And usually those kind of feelings end up prompting more ideas and get the juices moving too. So those are my two big tips for overcoming writer's block. That's great. Thanks. What about editing and revising tips? Editing is actually the most difficult stage for me. Um, I love like drafting super fast, getting it all on the page, and then sending it off into the universe without looking at it again. Ah! And <laughs> when it comes back, I'm just like, oh, I got, why do I got to look at this again? Like, it feels almost <laughs> like starting over. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm really, really lucky to have an awesome editor um, who like walks me through what she thinks could be improved about the book, what she feels like is missing, um, what she feels like 
was kind of done too much or explored too much or overdone. And what I usually do is with her editing notes, she usually sends me a long letter at the beginning, 10 to 20 pages. And I'll usually go through and read that letter five or six times. And then once I've had a minute to process all of that, I'll usually take like a day. I'll then highlight all of the action items, like the actual like consequential do this at some point in the story, because she fills the letter with a whole Mm. bunch of like encouraging notes and amazing, like, like overarching things. Um, But the ones that I want to focus on, at least at the beginning, are the things that I actually need to change. So then I'll sort those into bullet points and then I'll work through them just one at a time. And when I'm under an editing deadline, I'll usually take the amount of time I have left, subtract like 10 days for emergencies, um, and then divide it by the number of chapters I have to revise and then just take like a chapter a day or chapter a week or however long it is and take it in bite-sized pieces because then it doesn't feel so daunting. That's my general editing strategy. Can you estimate your submission to publication ratio? Oh, so before Slay, zero. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. I know. I wrote, how many did I submit? I think there were two, no, there were three stories, three books I had written and queried um, that were all rejected. And now looking back, I can understand why that was actually wait. That was before I was like into reading. I was in college. I was just reading economics textbooks, which aren't really going to help you if you're writing fiction. <laughs> so those three were rejected. Slay. Um, it was, it was a story of my heart. As I was writing it, I felt totally different. Um, I re- I really believed in this one. Like I hadn't believed in anything else I'd ever written. So I can feel the difference with it. But that one was accepted. Um, it was a two-book deal. So the second one that I'm writing is, um, which I'm editing right now, actually, is um, also about a Black teenager exploring who they are. Um, it's about identity. It's a more heart-wrenching story about like family history and the ancestral plane and the pressure to be your ancestors' wildest dreams. So it's a bit heavier, but it also felt like in mm. the same tone as Slay. So I had a lot of faith that that one was going to get accepted, and it was. Um, now I'm working on drafting book three, and that one goes back into like the gaming element. Uh, so I also have faith that that one's going to do pretty well. So I, I haven't actually had anything get rejected. It's still early in my writing career, but I'm sure it will happen one day. <laughs> Who are some other women writers we should be reading right now? Ooh, um, so... Uh, someone who has a debut coming out in June that I really, I I can't, I was almost on the floor after reading this book, like just processing everything that just happened. Um, her book is called A Song of Raids and Ruin, and I'm talking about Roseanne Brown. Um, it is a YA fantasy. Uh, it is African culture, just soaked in African culture. It's amazing. Um, it's like... The Hunger Games meets Game of Thrones meets Children of Blood and Bone meets Avatar The Last Airbender. It's kind of all of those, and it's amazing. Um, I've heard it pitched as uh, Aladdin and Jasmine if they had to kill each other. <laughs> Whoa. It's, it's quite outrageous. I love the story so much. Um, as soon as it was over, I called her and went, what have you done to me? <laughs> How am I supposed to read anything else after this? So I highly recommend that one. And where can listeners find you online? 
Um, I'm on Twitter at Brittany M. Morris, and I'm on Instagram at Brittany M. Morris. Um, I'm on Facebook, but I kind of keep that personal because Facebook is all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's also a form on my website if you want to like reach me for business inquiries or appearance questions or anything like that. Um, I do actually read that pretty regularly. So that's the best way to get a hold of me outside of social media. Brittany, would you read some of your work for us now? Absolutely. So I'm going to read from the very first chapter uh, during the first duel in Slay. Uh, the duel is between Presto Box and Zama. Those are the names of the two competitors. So here we go. Duelers, I type. Have you studied your cards? Zama raises her fists and releases a mighty roar among the howls of her fans. Presto Box lifts an amorphous lump from under their cloak and waves it up at me. I'll take that as a yes. Excellent, I type. I have the next part memorized now, but it took me forever to write it first, jotting down the words in notebooks, on napkins, and in my phone until they clicked perfectly. These are the rules of tournament engagement. Using the unique powers indicated on each card, duelers will battle each other until their powers run out and they return to the state in which you see them now. Then we will progress to round two. The dueler left with the most points at the end of round three wins the match. Attacks in rapid succession are permitted. Duelers may deal as many strikes as they want before the timer runs out and their powers disappear. Duelers may use items and spells during gameplay. The restrictions are few. In-game betting on opponents, hacking, lag mechanisms, and unapproved mods to characters, skills, and environments are strictly prohibited. In general, no, the audience yells it as my next text appears. Tomfoolery. I grin as I type the next part. And finally, remember that little queens and kings are watching. Opponents, respect each other in words and in actions. No trash talk. Let your skills speak for themselves. Now are you all ready? The crowd roars to life, and Zama begins hopping up and down to loosen up. Presto Box widens their stance under their robe. Duelers, on my count, flip your first pair of cards. Ready? Three, two, one, flip. Zama flips the two cards closest to her. Two cards flip on their own in front of Presto Box. The four cards appear on the mega board, and I hurry to read their names so I can type. Zama has chosen the Gabby Douglas card and the Twist Out card for a deadly combination. Very nice, but will it withstand Presto Box's selections? The Jimi Hendrix card and the Swerve card? We'll find out in three, two, one, and begin. Those drums thunder away through the arena. Zama taps the Twist Out card first, and her hair grows into two monstrous ropes as thick in diameter as Thanksgiving dinner plates. Ropes that deal no damage, but can render the opponent immobile if they catch them. They fly straight for Presto Box, who ducks and rolls out of the way, just barely escaping their grasp in time as the two ropes untwist into four. Presto reaches their hand out from under the inky black cloak and touches the Jimi Hendrix card, and an electric purple haze falls over the ring, descending from the sky like a tropical rain. I debated between calling this one the Jimi Hendrix card after his song Purple Haze, or the Prince card in honor of Purple Rain. But in the end, it looked more like a purple haze to me, and since it clouds the opponent's vision by 75%, the name stuck. Zama begins to stumble amid the violet fog. The crowd is loving this, and I'm loving it along with them. Even though I have all the card stats memorized since I wrote most of them, I never know for sure how a match will end. The outcome depends on so many factors besides luck of the draw. Aggressiveness, patience, reverse psychology, game theory, character strength, And frankly, how skilled the person behind the character is at using VR equipment. 
It's impossible to tell who has the upper hand, and I realize I'm holding my breath. Zama's untwisted ringlets split into a flailing spiral of fifty locks of hair. The crowd gasps as all tendrils zoom straight at Presto Box, who can't escape them this time. Presto is sucked up into a jet-black bouquet of gorgeous natural hair that I'm envious of. My twist-outs have been stuck at my shoulders since junior high. Presto squirms fruitlessly as Zama leaps forward into a handspring with one of her hands on the Gabby Douglas card, and her feet follow effortlessly. She tumbles and flips across the ring with such speed and strength that people are rising out of their chairs in awe. A swift roundhouse to the face sends Presto Box flying mask-first into the ground. I gasp and realize I'm clenching my fists, and then I take a deep breath and remind myself that none of this is real, and that Presto isn't really hurt, and that my animations are just that realistic. I steal a glance at the megaboard. That blow gave Zama a whopping 1,200-point lead. Come on, Presto, I urge. My heart skips as I realize I've said it in real life, and I lift one headphone to listen to the quiet of my room, just to make sure Mom hasn't heard me. Presto Box is off the ground, tapping their second and last round one card, the Swerve card, one of my favorites, marked by a black steering wheel as the artwork, since it comes from the expression swerve, which means step off or stay in your lane. It blocks 80% of opponent damage. To use this as a round three card usually means the player has given up on offense and they want to block as much damage as possible in a last-ditch effort to stay in the game. Using the swerve card in round one means Presto anticipated Zama would take the offensive out the gate and is giving themselves time to catch up. The crowd erupts in boos, and Zama shrugs, circling the ring with a raised hand to calm her supporters down. Her twist-out is still billowing behind her. With Zama's back to the ring, Presto Box glides across the floor in her direction. I smirk at Zama's carelessness. We're only two minutes into round one, with 60 seconds left. There's no way she should be this confident yet. If there's one thing that'll get you flattened in the ring, it's pride. Presto leaps through Zama's hair tentacles and engulfs her in that inky black cloak until both duelers are a tangle of hair, wolf pelt, and shadowy blackness under a purple haze. I can barely make out anything through all that, so I watch the megaboard as Presto's points tick up and up and up. 300, 400, 550, 650. It's 1,300 to 1,800, oh, to 800, sorry, as Zama breaks free and sticks her hair on Presto Box again. Presto reverts to shadow form, sinking into the floor until there are a pool of black zipping all over the ring. Zama's eyes can't keep up, and she looks ridiculous tap dancing around in her regal wolf cloak to keep her away from the shadow. I can't help it. I burst into laughter. My mom's voice comes instantly. Honey, I hope you're studying in there, she calls. Thank you, Brittany, for sharing your writing and wisdom with us today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been great. Now it's time for our writing prompt. I suggest setting a timer for six or eight minutes, putting Brittany's writing prompt at the top of your page, and free writing whatever comes to mind. Remember, the important part is keeping your pen moving. You can always edit later. Right now. We just want to write something new and see what happens. Uh, so this writing prompt I like to call the coffee shop. And it's a great prompt to do if you are if you have like a set of characters that are kind of all sounding the same and you're trying to diversify your voice a little bit. So something I like to do is take your protagonist, um, whoever they are, and set them in a coffee shop. Or if you're writing fantasy or historical fiction, maybe of a tavern or a bar, some kind of, uh, or a restaurant, somewhere where they're going to be around a bunch of people and there's going to be a lot of action happening. And then from there, have one of 
each of your other characters come in. Um, focus on the five senses. Um, what is your character seeing? What do they smell? Um, is it, maybe it's cold in there or too hot? Um, are the other characters in the room annoying them? Um, is the barista or the bartender making something that's especially loud um, and, you know, messing up their concentration? Are they happy or upset about the person who just walked in? Does something chaotic happen? Uh, does somebody spill something hot all over another character? Um, make it as exciting or interesting as you can um, and keep focus on the five senses the whole time. And as you have each of those characters come in, uh, you should learn more about your protagonist and how they're feeling about the whole situation and, you know, what's going down between them and another character. And it should help you diversify your voice a little bit. Okay. Were you also blown away by the fact that Brittany Morris wrote Slay in 12 days? I just love that she picked a contest deadline and decided to meet it and did whatever it took to write that book. It's proof of what we can accomplish in sprints if we're inspired and decide to just do the work. Did you also notice that she said that she had queried 200 agents and was rejected by all of them? And then she wrote this book in 12 days and got a two-book deal? It reminds me that we write because we believe in what we're writing. And that if something really grabs us and inspires us, that we should absolutely follow that energy and use it to create something amazing. I'm trying to follow that thread right now in my life and in my writing, and it feels so good. I'm glad you were here listening this week. I love getting to talk to writers about their process and hearing them read in their own voice, but I also love hearing from you about your writing practice and how the show's been helping you. Send me a message and let me know how it's going. I'm Sarah Gallagher, and you've been listening to Fierce Women Writing. Next Thursday, tune in for my interview with Luba Vikonsky, one of the authors of Gender Mosaic, a scientific book that debunks the notion of a gender binary and male and female brains. Until then, keep writing. Become a supporting member of the podcast with a monthly contribution at FierceWomenWriting.com. Get more writing prompts and engage with other writers on our Instagram page at FierceWomenWriting. Remember, women is spelled with an X. You can also help us reach more writers by sharing this episode with a friend and subscribing, downloading, and reviewing the podcast. Thank you for listening.